Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, George Reuter, that's me, will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Welcome to episode 23. We're making serious progress moving our way through the book of Acts. Um, We talked about in our last episode how at the beginning of chapter 8, a persecution had come on the church because of Stephen's martyrdom. And so Christians had scattered. They were starting to preach in Samaria and other places. Uh, Philip was preaching in Samaria. That's what happened at the beginning of chapter 8. I'm going to pick up in verse 9. I'm going to read all the way to verse 25, and I'll do that in the NIV. Here it comes. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they had be- when they had believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Let's talk about Simon the sorcerer. This guy started out on the wrong road, which seems to be a theme in Acts for those of us who know what's coming. Simon's is a real story about a real guy who's into some real screwed up stuff before he finds the gospel, or more properly, the gospel finds him. Now, in some translations, Simon was a magician, but that makes us think of Penn and Teller or David Blaine, and that is very much not the case. Simon wasn't doing street magic using sleight of hand and misdirection. Simon was using sorcery to create signs and wonders and to control people. So let's say some things about signs and wonders, shall we? First, they work. The people in Samaria were pretty impressed by Simon's work and called him a great man of God. 
we can preview Antichrist's widespread appeal in the future based on this. Why will so many people follow a man who is so clearly evil? Because he will have signs and wonders. Uh, in fact, I believe Revelation refers to them as lying signs and wonders to distinguish them from the signs and wonders that the church will do at the same time. Second, you can build quite a following with signs and wonders. Simon was followed by all the people. That's what the scripture says. All the people. Because he had amazed them for a long time. Staying power is real, folks. J. Vernon McGee says, quote, I believe that Simon is the first religious racketeer in the church, but unfortunately, not the last. Third, signs and wonders are fleeting. When the real gospel came to Samaria, Simon left his signs and wonders ministry and followed Philip. Simon knew that what Philip had was the real deal, and Simon wanted in on that. Now, you could read the text as saying that Simon was looking for even more power, and he thought Philip had a little something extra, but what the text says attracted Simon was the gospel itself. And the text says that Simon believed and was baptized. So there's no reason for me to believe that he was anything but a believer. Matthew Henry, quote, We have no reason to think that Philip did amiss in baptizing him. Prodigals, when they return, must be joyfully welcomed home, though we cannot be sure but that they will play the prodigal again. It is God's prerogative to know the heart. The church and its ministers must go by a judgment of charity. We must hope the best as long as we can, end quote. Now, it's also totally true that being a believer doesn't cure you of your fleshly lusts all at once. And I'm just, I'm using lusts because I grew up King James and so it's just desires, your, the desires of your flesh all at once. And we deal with that in the following verses. So when you see Simon wanting to pay the apostles for the right to lay hands on people, that's just old habits that need to be taken captive. We'll deal with that in a few minutes. Can we talk about the Samaritan church? So in the story, the word of God is spreading. Uh, Philip is preaching in Samaria. People are hearing the gospel. People are being saved. And so there's a delegation to Samaria. It's Peter and John. Now, this is an important delegation in light of how Hebraic Jews had viewed Samaritans. On this side of the cross, our side of the cross, there's just one church and everyone can belong. Neither Gentile nor Jew. The, the curtain in the temple torn from top to bottom, right? Uh, Ephesians 2, by grace you've been saved through faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast, right? Like there's, it's that, all of that. But everyone in that delegation was old enough to remember when Samaritans were half-breeds who would never measure up to the full-blooded Jews. So Peter and John showing up, it's a little bit hat in hand for them. Peter and John knew that the Samaritans had received the baptism of John, but not the baptism of the Spirit. And so Peter and John prayed for the baptism of the Spirit, and the Spirit baptized people. Now, I will note that no mention is given of exactly what that meant. 
Did they speak in tongues? Did they prophesy? Did they heal people? Nobody knows. We'll have to ask them someday when we all get together what a day of rejoicing that will be. What we do know is that Peter and John came to believers and prayed for the Spirit to baptize them, and the Spirit did. Is this a second blessing? Well, honest theologians disagree. I'll give you my take. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says, just as a, uh, I'll read 12, 12, and 13. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Paul says, we were all baptized by one spirit. Romans 8, 9. Paul again. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. These verses seem to speak against a so-called second blessing. I mean, Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. And so, logical contrapositive of that, if you belong to Christ then you have the Spirit of Christ. The laying on of hands to receive the Spirit was exceptional in the book of Acts. So what purpose did it serve? Well, we can speculate. What if Philip had been the guy? What if Philip had been the one to lay the hands and the Holy Spirit falls? Then the Samaritans may not have been soft-hearted toward the Hebraic Jews running the show in Jerusalem. Perhaps the Lord was merciful and brought two previously warring people groups together. Clearly, the receiving of the Spirit in Acts happens in different ways. In Acts chapter 2, it's a spontaneous thing. In Acts chapter 8, and later in Acts chapter 10, spoilers, it's by laying on of hands. And that's part of the problem when Christians look at Acts and say, This is how you get the Spirit! Well, is it by laying on of hands? And if so, does it have to be an apostle? Or can anybody do it? Is it spontaneous, like in Acts 2? If so, do you have to be praying for months beforehand? Does it have to be in a room upstairs in an apartment building? There is nothing about these texts that appears to be normative, and there is no apostolic letter that speaks to this phenomenon. We are guessing. We are speculating. We are in the dark on this. We have our own church history. We have a couple of narrative texts, and narratives are, are texts that tell us what happened, but not necessarily what should have happened. And we don't have anything in the epistles to guide us on this. Anyway, Simon sees some evidence that laying on of hands is somewhat magical, and he wants that sort of magic, so he asks to pay for it. I can put myself in his shoes. Other, uh, th Think this through. Think it through like you're Simon. Other people have probably paid Simon for his magic. Simon may have paid other people for their magic. Why wouldn't you want this kind of power? And of course, he doesn't just want to ask for it. That's rude. So he offers to pay. But Peter, well, Peter goes a little bit nuts. J.B. Phillips's paraphrase says, 
to hell with you and your money. And that's not too far off. The literal Greek text says, may your silver go with you into hell. Simon's flesh got a hold of him. And even though he was a baby Christian, he earned a sharp rebuke. Our motives matter. And so do our actions. So for a moment at the end of our episode here, let's play a little bit of guess why. Uh, Specifically, let's think about why Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit a few chapters back and ended up dead, while Simon tried to buy the Holy Spirit, or at least his baptism, and lived. That's worth thinking about. Could it be because Simon's request was in ignorance, while Ananias and Sapphira knew exactly what they were doing? Maybe. Could it be that Simon wasn't really a believer, and so... Holy Spirit didn't have to strike him dead because he wasn't pretending to be a believer. Maybe I don't take that view. I think God was merciful to Simon because his flesh was still working and the request was sincere. His repentance appears to have been genuine and the gospel spread in Samaria. Ananias and Sapphira, not so much. They knew exactly what they were doing. They did it anyway and the price was steep. There's one more story to cover in Acts chapter 8. We've got to talk about the famous story of the Ethiopian eunuch. That'll wait till next time. We'll see you in episode 24. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.